Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. The floral fabric was so thin in some places it was almost translucent. The sleeves had been carefully folded so they didn't hang over the table's edges, but the extra material suggested they would fall to the waist. The pattern appeared to have been hand-stitched into the copper fabric. The skirt split open along the back almost to the waist. It would have been worn over a petticoat, each extra layer a display of wealth. I ran a finger lightly over the bodice. The black flecks peeling off the knotted laces, as well as the tiny pinprick holes, indicated the pervasive presence of iron mordant. Metal salts had once been used as a fixative, altering the chemical substance of natural dye and lending the fabric that lustrous, just-been-spun appearance that elevated a gown from something homely to something worthy of being seen at ceremonial occasions. I turned my attention to the velvet purse, the pile had dried in tufts, giving it the unkempt appearance of a scruffy wild animal. Amazingly, a few seed pearls attached by their silken threads still clung like ivory spiders to the weft. I carefully picked it up and opened it. The inside was in better nick than the exterior. While the outer velvet had faded to a dull vermilion, the silk lining's original pattern of vibrant yellow mustard flowers remained intact. The purse must have pleased the owner because she'd taken the extra step of having a phrase embroidered into the fabric inside the purse, mon prefer, my favourite. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Lauren Chater is the author of two works of historical fiction, The Lace Weaver and Gulliver's Wife, along with the baking compendium, Well Read Cookies. Today I'm talking to Lauren Chater about her latest book, The Winter Dress. Hi, Lauren, and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Hi, Greg. Thank you for having me. I want to start with something that's really central to this book, which is cultural dress theory. What is that exactly? So cultural dress theory is the research of fabric and textiles and how that um, informs history and how history has been influenced by fashions and fashion is the vanguard of dress. Um, everything that humans do to adorn themselves can tell you about what was happening in the time period when people were living and dying and it has a lot to do with their status and uh, you know where the wars were happening in the country at the time and things like that. So everything's sort of it's like a big tapestry and cultural dress theory tries to pull all those threads together and and look at um, at fabric and clothing and work out um, clues that can tell us about the way that people lived. In this age of disposable everything, and especially clothing, uh, the idea of imagining the former inhabitants of clothing is, is sort of somehow lost. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about who might have worn this or that dress or article of clothing? Well, I'm not a dress historian, but I know that they, they would spend a lot of time thinking about those sort of things. Um, I... You know, as a, a historical writer, I spend a lot of time imagining what people's lives must have been like. And a lot of that is informed by what they would have worn. Um, you know, that's a really important part of the research process because it tells you a lot about, you know, their their status, how much money they had, 
what was happening at the time. Um, even when I wrote the, the last book, Gulliver's Wife, she was a midwife and so she had to have special sleeves that didn't get in the way when she was delivering babies and things like that. So I think as a writer there is a little bit of crossover with um, dress history. Um, so, yeah, I do spend a lot of time thinking about what my characters would have worn um, and I think it's really important to, to get those things right and to be as accurate as possible. As I understand it, you've actually laid eyes on this particular dress. What was that experience like? Um, that was an amazing experience, actually, and I didn't really know whether I would get to see it in person. So I travelled to uh, Tessel, which is where the book is set um, and where this particular dress that the story is based on was found. It was found by some divers off the Dutch coast. Um, they retrieved this dress, didn't know what it was. They picked it up from a shipwreck, a local shipwreck that they dived before, but a, a storm had come through and blown all the sand and mud away and they had pulled up this dress, unrolled it, hosed it down hung it up, didn't realise that they had this amazing treasure in their clubhouse um, and then discovered that it was this extraordinary piece of maritime history and textiles history. Um, and so it was then transferred to the mainland to a little archaeological facility, which is where it, it now lives, um, in the basement. And so um, I met with the uh, head of research halfway through my um, trip through the Netherlands. And he said, well, he, they kept calling me the Australian journalist. And I didn't, <laughs> didn't set them straight. I just said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Um, and they, they wanted to make a good impression, I think. And so they said, okay, well, just come and have a look at it. You know, they don't let people see it. So he took me down into the basement, pulled out this big white box. It's like a big sarcophagus. You know, it's just sitting there in the basement. It's all temperature controlled because they have to be very careful about damage, further damage to the fabric. Took the lid off and it was just there. And it's just an amazing experience because this dress is 400 years old and you think it's such an intimate thing. It's been worn against someone's skin. Where did it come from? Who wore it? You know, all these questions kind of pop up in your mind. But also it's just an extraordinarily beautiful object. It's silk. It was originally, they think, a cream colour, but it's been discoloured over time. And it's now this golden reddish colour that they think it was next to a, a cape, a velvet cape, and they think the colour might have rubbed off onto the, the fabric. Um, and it's got these beautiful patterns, these floral motifs sewn into the fabric. And silk, as you know, is a very, very expensive fabric, the most beautiful and prized fabric so to see it was just like it was like seeing a time traveler you know this dress had survived an amazing experience indeed before we talk about the main character josephine baker who in a sense carries the story uh, i want to talk about something that she says in the book and how it relates to you josephine says it was one thing to write a dissertation on cultural dress theory and quite another to convert it into a digestible piece of creative nonfiction people might actually want to read. Now, that seems to be to be a problem, not only for Josephine Baker, but uh, a problem for Lauren Chater. Was it a problem? <laughs> I mean, I don't write nonfiction. I write fiction, but it is, it is a, a problem. It is hard to take something that's very research heavy and make it interesting, I think. Um, and that's always the danger of writing kind of historical uh, fiction is that you can weigh the story down with too much detail, too much research. And so the way that you I, I approach that is to do more than is necessary and then cut back later. I think it's 
it's really telling if you are skipping and underwriting your work, which is where, you know, you have big gaps of information. Um, I think it's much better to pair, pair things back, but it means that you have to be a bit ruthless in the editing stages. So I like to just throw everything at the wall, go down those research rabbit holes, find out as much as possible, and then work out what's important to the story and cut the things that aren't. We've mentioned Josephine, but there's two other characters, Anna Tessel, and also a really interesting character, uh, not just a character, a real person, Katharina van Schulman, quite a remarkable person. Well, Katharina um, van Schulman is based on a, a real woman called Anna Maria van Schulman, and Anna Maria was a very famous 17th century Dutch painter and scholar. She was very highly lauded for her talents, and she was considered something of a child prodigy. Apart from being a very gifted artist, she was a polymath and she corresponded with a lot of philosophers. She was very comfortable talking to Descartes and she knew a lot of the important people of the time period. Um, and so I can't even remember whereabouts in the research process I stumbled across her, but when I started reading about her, I just thought it's extraordinary that more people don't know about this amazing woman. She was also the first woman to go to university in the Netherlands. She went to the University of Utrecht, which for a woman was just an amazing kind of achievement for her to be you know, honoured in that way. And she was also admitted to the Guild of St. Luke's, which was the, the Painters Guild in the Netherlands at the time. And I was looking for a character that I could play off uh, against my, with my other character, Anna, who is a, a sort of a poor laundress. She's fallen on hard times um, and she is looking for um, a job, basically, a, a, a way of earning money. And she becomes Katharina's assistant. And so the two women have this interesting kind of uh, relationship because Katharina is a very strong personality. Anna is a, a bit meeker. Um, but she also has an inner strength so that their differences kind of become the things that unite them and solidify their friendship, I think, in the end. Um, and so I really wanted people to, to hopefully do some more research and learn more about Anna Maria Bencham and, um, after reading the book because I think she's just extraordinary. Now, Josephine Baker. Josephine Baker is the person, I guess, who brings this story together. Can you tell me a bit about Josephine, the character, and also... There's a mystery bound up in this story too. Josephine is the contemporary character through which we learn about Anna and un try to un unravel the mystery of who wore the dress and what Anna's fate was. Um, jo is a uh, textiles historian. She's living in Sydney, but she's drawn back to Tessel, the place where she was born, the little Dutch island, um, to investigate the dress and who wore it. And she's called back there by a friend, Bram, her, one of her oldest friends, and he's a diver, the head of the diving group uh, on Tessel. Um, and Jo, when she goes back, has to confront her past. And Jo has a, a very sort of tragic past where her parents um, were killed when she was 16 and she never returned to the Netherlands. So she went to live in Australia with her aunt, Marieke. And so by going back, Jo has to kind of unravel the mystery of her own heritage and work out what really happened and the relationship that her parents had and how uh, those relationships inform her life and the way that she's lived her life. And of course, there's the mystery of the dress. Who actually owned this dress? That's right. Perhaps yes. we shouldn't say any more about that and leave that to the reader. No. <laughs> yeah. You've also got a real talent for creating genuinely 
unlikable characters. Uh, in Gulliver's Wife, it was Lemuel Gulliver, among others, in that book. Um, in The Winter Dress, it's Martin Horst, and he has a fairly similar ugly presence. I wondered, is he representative in some way, uh, the idea that women's lives and their destinies are continually in the hands of men? Yeah, I think there are men who will take advantage of those kind of situations. And in certainly in the 17th century, it was a, a very difficult time for women to assert any kind of power for themselves. They had to be very clever about it, very subtle. And women like Katerina, who were extremely talented and actually had quite a lot of power and and very were very strong personalities. Um, they had to be very clever about how they marketed themselves basically in the world. Otherwise they would, it, it was very easy for them to be shunned and for uh, for them to be locked out of good society. And so one of the ways that Katharina gets around this is that she gives men gifts. Um, so she would gift them her like a painting or some piece of engraving and that's a way of getting your work in front of the right people but it's using the currency the sweet currency that is uh, kind of clever and resistant in in very subtle ways um, so I think women were always aware of those kind of characters and the women who were able to survive and thrive in those environments were the ones that managed to um, ha either had the supports or had the, the, the skills and the, the wit to find other ways to um, elevate themselves and ensure their own survival. There's another thing I came across in this book. I like to fall down historical rabbit holes, as just as you mentioned just a moment ago. Could that statement just as easily apply to Lauren Chater? Yes, I think it could. <laughs> I think it could apply to a lot of um, writers, really. I think we get very carried away in our research and we we become fascinated by little tidbits of um, information. But the way that I, I use my instinct a lot as well when I'm writing or when I'm reading and researching before even before I start writing, I remember the, the divers when I interviewed them on TESOL were saying that they the way that they often find shipwrecks is that identify shipwrecks is that they they're fishermen a lot of them and they have the trawlers out and they have the nets out and they feel the bump as they go over a shipwreck they feel the mast sort of tug on the net and I feel like as a rider that's a little bit like what we do we're always um, alert waiting for those special moments of significance to kind of appear um, and we just have to be open to the possibility and ready for them. And part of that is by, you know, falling down those historical <laughs> rabbit holes and not, not trying to anticipate, you know, what we might need to find. We just have to keep reading and, and the connections, our brains just make the connections themselves. What amazed me about this book is the breadth of your research and it, it moves from, um, I guess, archives and the preservation of garments onto even things like diving. And all that seems to me to have the potential to take you right out of your comfort zone, particularly diving. I wondered whether you'd actually gone diving, but has this book taken you out of your comfort zone and how did you overcome that? Yeah, I think every book actually takes you out of your comfort zone. You always have this idea that it's going to be easier to write the next book and then you, you're deep in it and it just is so tricky <laughs> and you have to really take yourself out of out of that comfort zone in order to create good work I think or 
even if it's not work, at least to create something that you're that you're proud of and you can stand by. I definitely uh, knew that I needed to learn to dive when I first started thinking about the book because I wanted to describe those passages accurately. Um, and there is a lot of mental preparation that you have to do when you're diving and also to be very in, in the present moment and alert. Um, and so I wanted to be able to describe those experiences, not just the technical side of diving. So I did my open water training in 2020 between lockdowns. Um, and that was interesting in itself because we had to, uh, because the swimming pools were all closed, we had to go straight into the ocean <laughs> and it was freezing. It was the middle of winter, <laughs> but I knew I had to do it or, you know, we might go into lockdown again. And so I did that and it was, yeah, it was a crazy experience. It was it was great, but it is it is a bit scary. And it seems like that's the kind of thing that's really made this book the great book that it is. Yeah, well, hopefully. <laughs> Lauren, thanks so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I've been talking to Lauren Chater about her new book, The Winter Dress. It's published by Simon & Schuster, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name is Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.